Lord, thank you uh, for this story that's uh, been recorded for us in the Bible, in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Very familiar story to us. Um, And yet, uh, I believe there's something new that you may want to say to us through this story this morning. So would you open our ears and our hearts uh, to hear from you, to receive uh, what it is you have for us this morning. We pray, Lord, that it would change our lives, that we, in fact, would be different people when we leave this place this morning than when we came in. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, when we talk about the wise men, uh, I'm pretty convinced that, that most of what we believe about them comes from Christmas cards. Uh, not from the Bible. Um, here's an example. I don't know how well you can see it, but you're familiar with these, these cards already, right? Uh, and from this depiction uh, of the visit of the wise men, we're told a number of things. Actually, we're told that there were three of them, right? There's three of them there. Uh, we're told that uh, they're from three different ethnic backgrounds. Somewhere along the way, I'm not sure when, Uh, someone decided that one of them was from India, one from Persia, and one from Ethiopia. And then someone else decided that that, uh, these poor travelers, well, they weren't poor, but these travelers needed names. And so they gave them names of Melchior, Gaspar, and Balthazar. Um, We're told uh, from from images like this that they traveled on camels, uh, perhaps, I don't know. Uh, And and lastly, we're told that the wise men visited Mary and the baby at the stable. And in this particular uh, rendering, I might add that Mary and the baby are um, unusually white uh, for for people of Middle Eastern ethnicity. Um, The truth is, none of these things that we know are mentioned in the only account we have of these wise men in Matthew's gospel. Uh, The number, excuse me, I'm going to... The number of wise men... Uh, surely wasn't three. Uh, More likely, uh, it would have been dozens, if not upwards of a hundred. Traveling uh, the distance they did, it would not have been safe for just three of them and their camels to make this trip. Number three probably comes to us from the three gifts uh, that they brought to the Christ child. Um, I saw a cartoon once that depicted a fourth uh, wise man who wasn't allowed in uh, because he brought fruitcake, um, (laughs) which I actually don't find funny at all because I really like fruitcake, and I, of course, assume that Jesus would too. So uh, as for the location of their visit, Matthew uh, gives us some clues uh, about that. Uh, He tells us that they came to the house. They came to the house where Mary and Joseph 
lived, not to a stable. Uh, We also see in Matthew's account that Jesus was probably uh, not an infant. Uh, Matthew uses a word uh, uh, that means toddler, not newborn. And uh, when Herod asks the wise men when they first saw the star, their answer suggests that Jesus was probably uh, somewhere close to two years old when they arrived. So Jesus was not still in the manger, and uh, uh, he was not a white baby, okay? So we can debunk that. Uh, How about if we do this? How about if we open our Bibles to Matthew 2 and see what we actually do know? Uh, about this story. Uh, Matthew 2 is on page 772 of the Bibles that the ushers just handed out, and the story begins at verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star rise and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So Matthew begins by telling his readers uh, what we know in a little more detail from Luke's gospel. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But then Matthew does something different. He introduces a different ruler than Luke talks about. Luke talks about Caesar Augustus, the, the Roman emperor at the time. Matthew tells us that Jesus was born in the days of King Herod. What's going on here? Who who is Herod? Well, Herod, it turns out, isn't a real king. He was sort of an air quote king over Jerusalem, serving under Emperor Augustus. Uh, He wasn't Jewish. Uh, He was always terrified that, that someone would challenge his place as king of the Jews right, in Jerusalem. Uh, in many ways, we could say that he was an imposter uh, with a really brutal dark side. Uh, historians paint a picture of Herod as this paranoid narcissist murdering his rivals, whether those rivals were real or imagined. He, uh, he murdered his wife and three of his sons when he suspected them of trying to usurp Uh, his throne. Augustus, the the Roman emperor, once said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Uh, It's said that on his deathbed, Herod ordered a group of uh, upstanding citizens of Jerusalem to be arrested, arrested and imprisoned with orders that the moment Herod died, they were to be killed so at least some tears would be shed the day he died. Great guy, huh? And of course, in the most horrific part of the story, we learned that based on when the wise men first saw the star, Herod, um, I'll I'll go family-friendly here, got rid of uh, all of the babies under two years old in an attempt to get rid of Jesus. Uh, it's known as the Massacre of the Innocents. And it, it shows the depths and danger of, of Herod's paranoia, his, his dark character. So that's Herod. Matthew also introduces us to the wise men in verse 1. 
the Greek word he uses is magoi. Uh, it's the word we get magi from. And the term magi uh, originally referred to this priestly caste of uh, uh, people in, in ancient Persia or, or Babylon, modern-day modern Iraq. Um, and uh, some think that these men may have been Zoroastrian priests who also studied astrology. Uh, if they did come from Babylon, they traveled nearly a thousand miles to get to Bethlehem. Um, whether they were these Zoroastrian priests or not, the text doesn't, doesn't tell us. Uh, but they clearly were astrologists who, who interpreted world events based on their observations of the, of the movement of, of planets and stars in the sky. Um, the idea of them being three kings uh, from the Orient, got a song going through your head? Yeah. Uh, came along uh, relatively late, uh, sometime in the 400s, as a possible fulfillment of Psalm 72.11, where David says that all kings will bow down to him. Um, so they, they probably weren't kings. And I apologize if I've wrecked another Christmas carol for you all, but there you have it. So, so we have Herod, we have the Magi, and then Matthew introduces another, um, not, a, not a person, but, a, but an element into the story that's important, the star. And there's a lot of speculation about the star, right? What was it? Um, there are several theories. Um, I'll, I'll mention a couple of them here. Uh, one theory is that there was this, um, and there was this, and, and perhaps this was the star, there was uh, a triple conjunction uh, that happened the year Jesus was born. Jupiter and Saturn uh, came together in the constellation Pisces, that year. Uh, and in Persian astrology, Jupiter is the planet of kings, and, and that year it came together with Saturn, the planet of justice, uh, and that conjunction uh, uh, appeared in the constellation Pisces, which is the zodiacal sign for the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. So maybe, maybe. That's, that's one theory about what this star was, uh, announcing the one who was born king of the Jews. Could make sense. Another theory suggests that the star was this one-time supernatural astral phenomenon that God used to announce Jesus' birth. And this is somewhat suggested by, uh, in the text by the description of the star, which appears and then seems to disappear and then reappears and it's in different places as, as they follow it along, um, ending up right over the house. What star does that, right? Right over the house uh, where uh, Jesus and his family lived. Um, if, if this is an accurate theory, then it could be that the Magi were the only ones who ever saw this. It was only visible to them. So that's a second theory. A third theory is that it really wasn't a star at all, but, but some kind of shining angelic being that, that led the Magi to Jesus. Um, is that, does that have any biblical basis? Well, 
angels are sometimes referred to as stars in the Bible. Um, Job 38, Daniel 8, Revelation 1, 2, and 3. Um, there are a number of places that the angels are called stars, uh, both holy angels and fallen angels, right? Uh, one New Testament Bible scholar cites an ancient extra-biblical account of Christ's birth that says, in the same hour, so when they left Herod, there appeared to them an angel in the form of that star which had before guided them on their journey. So maybe it was an angel, not a, a, a star or a planet. Here's the thing. We don't know. We don't know what it was. Uh, you can spend hours chasing those various theories uh, down uh, if you want, live it up if, if you're inclined to do that. Here's what is clear from the Bible. Somehow, God convinced these pagan astrologers to travel maybe as much as a thousand miles to come and worship a baby. I mean, that's a wow event, right? Whatever that thing was, it's, it's incredible. God communicated to these guys in a, in a culture and a context which would be meaningful enough to them. In other words, they would understand it enough to send them, compel them to go on this thousand-mile journey to go find Jesus. So however God did that, it's really incredible. Don't you think? Yeah. Uh, someone has said the only thing more incredible in this story is that these men stopped to ask for directions. <laughs> and and that, that may be. Um, uh, verse 3 tells us that when Herod heard that the Magi were in Jerusalem asking about the child uh, who was uh, born king of the Jews, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Why? Well, Herod is deeply disturbed because he saw this as a threat uh, to his throne, right? Think about this. Herod wasn't born a king. And the wise men come announcing one who is born king. Ooh, right? A legitimate king. Huge threat compared to this guy who had kind of weaseled his way onto the throne. And all of Jerusalem was deeply disturbed too. Why? Because they know this guy. They know Herod. They know his reputation. They know he killed his wife. They know he killed three of his sons. They know the, the dark paranoia in, in this guy. And uh, they know what lengths he will go to to, to maintain, maintain power on his throne. And of course, as the story unfolds, uh, we see that they have every reason to be deeply disturbed, right? To be concerned because he would eventually kill off hundreds, uh, perhaps even thousands of babies. Continue uh, in the story, verse four. So Herod, in his paranoia, right? Herod assembled all the chief priests and experts in the law and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod seems to know that there's this prophecy about a a Messiah, an anointed king, that the Jews were waiting for. But he, he doesn't seem to know enough about this prophecy to know where the Messiah is supposed to be born. So he calls together the chief priests and the experts of the law. And this is the third group uh, that, that Matthew introduces us to. Um, these could be seen as the Jewish wise men, right? So uh, we, we sometimes call uh, these, these guys who traveled from the east wise men. Um, these are Jewish wise men. Where the, where the Magi poured over their sky charts, these wise men poured over the Old Testament scriptures, which were called the Law of Moses, and they poured over the, the writings of the prophets. If anyone in Jerusalem would know about the prophecies of the Messiah, this, this anointed king of the Jews, these are the guys who will know the answer. And in fact, they know the answer to Herod's question by heart. They don't have to say... Uh, Give us a week, we'll go study this, and, and, and we'll come back and let you know, right? They, they know it by heart. They had the answer memorized. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said. And then they quoted the prophecy from Micah. Uh, I wonder. I mean, you can see the prophecy there and, and how it ends, the last two lines there of that prophecy. You suppose Herod caught the irony in this prophecy? Did did he see the the contrast of his brand of terrorizing leadership with the shepherding leadership of the Messiah? I don't know. If if he did, it it only seems to have, have steeled his determination to eliminate that threat. That thread, of course, a two-year-old child in, in Bethlehem. Wow. Uh, we move on into verse 7, and, and we have Herod's first encounter with the Magi. I always, uh, this is interesting to me, I, I always thought that when the Magi came to Jerusalem, they went to Herod and said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's not what Matthew says. He said they came into Jerusalem asking. I think they were moving around town going, do you know? When we saw his star, we want to worship him. Where is he? And, and word gets back to Herod. And when it does, he's, he's deeply uh, disturbed. He was disturbed anyway, but he's deeply disturbed here. And so he summons them secretly Uh, probably not wanting to give any credence to the rumor that this new king has been born. And and under the guise of wanting to go and worship him, uh, Herod asked the Magi, when when exactly did this star appear? And Matthew doesn't record their answer for us, but based on Herod's murderous act, it, it must have been about two years earlier, maybe somewhere just shy of that. I seriously doubt that, that the Magi understood the gravity of, of giving this information to, to Herod. 
but I wonder what would have happened if, if they hadn't ended up going to Herod. I wonder what would have happened if, if they had just kept following the star, letting the star lead them to Bethlehem. It's understandable that, that they would do this, but somewhere along the way, they, they quit following the star and trusted in their own theories, I guess, uh, to find the child. Um, it made sense. I mean, the, the star in the sky told them that a king was born for the Jews, and anyone, of course, would assume that the king born, uh, would be born in the capital city, Jerusalem. So that's where they went. Of course, they weren't following the star there. Anyone would be excused for going straight to Jerusalem and begin asking around, even maybe going to, to Herod, the, the sitting king, and asking him about it. But I wonder what would have happened if they'd have just followed what God was telling them. And of course, maybe there's some application there for all of us as well. But in this story, I can't help but think how many lives would have been spared. Right? Well, uh, Matthew continues the story in verse 9, tells us that after listening to the king, they left. And once again, the star they saw when it rose led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So again, here we have this unusual movement of of this star, whatever it was, and it stops above the house where Mary and, and Jesus were. There's no mention here of, of Joseph. He's not out of the story yet. Uh, if you read further on in Matthew 2, you'll, you'll see him back in the story. But right now, it's only Jesus and, and Mary that are mentioned. And Matthew says that they were overjoyed beyond measure, uh, I guess, to be back on track with their, with their mission. Uh, but their joy at seeing the star again seems to be overshadowed by seeing the child, right? And, and I think their response here is so much more than relief. You know, are we there yet? Are we there? Finally, we're there. I don't think it's that. Uh, the, the word that Matthew uses uh, for them worshiping Jesus, for, for them falling on their knees, bowing down and worshiping This child is a word that is reserved in the Bible for worshiping God. Of course, we know the story and that Jesus was the the Son of God. We don't know how much these wise men understood that day. Did they ask his name? I wonder that. Did they ask his name? I mean... We do that around here when a new baby's born, right? Oh, what's his name? And if they did, if, if Mary told them the baby's name, I wonder if she told them why he was named that. We looked at this last Sunday. Why was he called Jesus? Because he would save his people from their sins. I, I wonder if she told them what the angel had told her in her first 
encounter with the angel, that he would be called the son of the most high and his kingdom of peace and justice would never, ever end. Don't know what she said. What we do know is they fell on their knees and worshiped, which is, of course, the only right response to meeting the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Something one day all of us who know him will do, right? And then Matthew tells us that they gave gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I'm sure many of you have heard about um, uh, what these gifts may represent, uh, the, the gold representing that he is the king, uh, the frankincense representing his high priestly role because frankincense was uh, burned as an incense in, in the temple uh, worship. And, and myrrh perhaps represents his death because myrrh was used in embalming in, in those days. Uh, others have said that the myrrh represents Jesus as a prophet, which would sort of round out his, his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. We don't know. We don't know what the Magi intended in these gifts other than that they were expensive. Matthew says they opened their treasures. It was something they treasured. It was important to them. It was valuable to them. And it was a fitting gift for the one they came to revere and worship. Uh, verse 12 um, Uh, shows us again God's activity in this story as the Magi are warned uh, not to go back to Herod, but to return to their own country by another way, another route. And then the rest of the the chapter tells of God's protection of the Holy Family by warning Joseph to flee to Egypt and escape uh, Herod's wicked attempt of killing Jesus. But but we're going to stop here for, for this morning. And uh, I, I want us to wrestle uh, with some questions about the people we've met in, in this story. I, I often find it helpful to consider uh, where we find ourselves in a story like this when we, when we read it in the Bible. Um, and, and so for a few moments, I, I just want us to consider the three different responses we see in this story. Uh, so to begin with, right, right at the beginning, we meet Herod, who's this paranoid imposter king who will do anything to stay on the throne, in, including murdering people, right? And thinking about Herod makes me think of the ways that we are maybe afraid of Jesus being on the throne in our own lives. Some of us will go to great lengths to keep us on the throne and keep Jesus off of the throne. Um, some think that, that if they give up control, in other words, if, if, if they step down from the throne in their life and, and, and give control over to Jesus, who is the true king, they're going to they're gonna give up everything that, that brings them some sense of happiness or, or fulfillment. And these people find their own various ways to kill Jesus. That's harsh language, but that's, that's what we're doing when we try to keep him off the throne. And so to the Herods this morning, 
watching or, or here in person, please understand that acknowledging Jesus as, as king doesn't mean giving up your life. See, Jesus says that putting him on the throne is actually the way that you will find life, abundant life, he says. Jesus said that those who want to save their lives by their own means will actually end up losing their lives. But those who lose their lives, in other words, put him on the throne, are the ones who find life. So don't be a Herod. Another response we see in this story comes from the religious leaders. And this one might surprise us. These are the most knowledgeable uh, religious guys, right? In, in all of Jerusalem. In all of Israel, really. They, they knew all the right answers. All the right answers. The problem is, they were indifferent to the person that those answers pointed to. In an encounter with these same religious leaders uh, in John's gospel, of course, this is, what, 30 years later, but it's the same guys or sons of these same guys. Jesus says, you study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them you possess eternal life. And it is these same scriptures that testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. It's tragic. And it still goes on today. The, the contemporary word for this is bibliolatry, idolizing, worshiping the Bible. Some religious people, you know, they go to Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. They go to church and listen to sermons. They go online and listen to sermons on and on and on, that they're committed to knowing the the written word of God, and some of those people are in danger of missing the living word of God, who is Jesus. Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Studying the Bible is a really, really good thing. but not if it doesn't lead you to finding Jesus and becoming more like him. The the flip side of this religiosity coin is indifference. Here's the thing. Satan doesn't really care uh, how you miss Jesus. You can miss Jesus in church. You can miss Jesus reading your Bible. Uh, he doesn't really care as long as you miss Jesus. That's his goal, right? So a lot of people take a position of indifference to Jesus and, and they say things like, I believe in Jesus. He was a good prophet. He was a, a good man who gave us a good example to follow. And I think a lot of these people think they're taking a neutral position on Jesus. But I want to say to you this morning, that indifference is actually a very dangerous position to take. 
Because indifference is not neutral. We think it is, but it's not. Indifference actually grows into opposition to Jesus. These religious leaders in Matthew 2 are the same people who 30 years later would oppose Jesus to the point of calling for his death. Catch this. These men who told Herod where to find the one who was born king of the Jews are the same ones that called for him to be crucified because he claimed to be the king of the Jews. I don't think Matthew, and that's not coincidence that Matthew includes that, those bookends in his story. So if you're here this morning and you're taking a position of indifference, what you think is neutral regarding Jesus, you're not on neutral ground. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. He said to his disciples, who do you say I am? See, it comes down to what are you going to do with Jesus? There's just no room for sitting on the fence when it comes to Jesus. Which leads us then to the the third response we see in this story. The Magi worshipped. From the very beginning of their journey, their mission was to find the king of the Jews and worship him. It's right at the beginning of the story. And maybe their response is the most unlikely of of all the characters in the story. These guys are pagan priests. Why would they travel a thousand miles to find and worship this child? Well, they, they were looking for answers, right? They were seeking. Um, I think most of us would say they're looking in the wrong place. Place, the planets aren't going to tell you this, right? But what's amazing is that God used that. Somehow God let them know in a way that they would understand that this child was the most important child that would ever be born. He was the one who could answer all of their unanswered questions. And it strikes me that, that God still does this today. Um, one, of, one of our elders talks about how a cow led him to Jesus. He's right over here. You, you ask him sometime to tell you the story of how a cow led him to Jesus. Uh, I know of a person who, who saw Jesus on an LSD trip. I don't recommend that. <laughs> My point is that God can use anything he wants to bring people to Jesus. So with these magi, not only did they seek him, they went on a long journey to find him. Prophet Jeremiah says that you will find God if you seek him with all your heart. You will. He promises it. And that's what the magi did. And when they found him, of course, they worshiped him. They recognized that Jesus was worthy of the kind of honor that only a deity was worthy of, only God was worthy of. And they gave him costly gifts. They opened their treasures and gave him gifts. In 1872, uh, Christina Rossetti uh, wrote the Christmas carol, In the Bleak Midwinter. It's not in most of our hymnals. 
Some of the stanzas are like, eh, that's why it's not in the hymnal. But in the last stanza, I think she captures what our appropriate response should be when she says this. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what can I give him? And then there's that sort of moment of of discovery. Ah, I know. I will give my heart, that, that most treasured part of us. So the question for us all this morning is, is what will our response be? Will we be like Herod who did everything in his power to stay on his throne and, and reject the, the true king, even, even trying to, to kill him? Will we be like the religious leaders who knew all the right answers and still missed Jesus? Their, their bibliolatry and their indifference turned to such strong opposition to Jesus that they eventually orchestrated his death. Will we be like that? Or will we be like the, the magi, the, the wisest of men? When God revealed to them that his son had been born, they stopped at nothing to find him and to worship him. And I hope this morning the choice is clear, what what the best choice is. Let's pray together. And would you take just a moment in, in silence here to consider those three. Who am I in this story? Who do I want to be in this story? Lord, it seems it seems that the the clear answer Maybe it's not to everyone. But it seems to me the clear answer is that we want to be like the wise men. We want to be like the magi who sought you and found you and worshipped you. Lord, I want to I want to pray for I want to pray for those would-be wise people here this morning. pray that they would look and I pray that you would show them maybe it won't be a star maybe it won't be a cow I don't know what it'll be but show them honor their seeking and may they find you and may they put you on the throne and discover uh, the true life that you have to offer. May all of us do some course correction and become more like the wise men who worshipped you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.